Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest with us this evening, we are thankful that you're here. We've had a wonderful weekend. Our juniors and seniors are back from a retreat that they spent a great and wonderful time together uh, this weekend. And they came in this afternoon. We're thankful for the wonderful report that we hear from their trip. We're thankful for the great good that was done in the name of our Lord with the single moms campaign, uh, car clinic. And uh, I hear that it was a great and a tremendous success. I've heard so many good things just since yesterday and today about it. I understand that we have two young men uh, that just worked an amazing amount of hours and just, uh, just the quantity of work was amazing with Braden Williams and also with Daniel Hines. I think those two young men uh, washed and worked on every car that came through washing. Uh, needless to say, we were a little short in that department, and those two gentlemen and Glenn Kaufman wrapped it up. And so as a congregation, uh, we are indebted to them and all that helped uh, in that day, and truly great things are being said about it, and to God we give all the glory. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful morning uh, we had in worship to God and then in our Bible classes to be able to study uh, such a wonderful topic of the, the blessing that we truly can be to each other. And also K.J. Boston and Tim, uh, uh, Tom Gambrell and David Stanfield, they were a blessing to us this morning as uh, they sought to make their lives right with God. And we're thankful for those men and for their encouragement that they are to us. We will continue uh, with a second part of our study on angels. And uh, since there would be some that were not here last week, what I'm going to do is scroll very quickly through the slides that we did with, that we covered last week. Of course, not being able to spend much time on each, but yet hopefully it would catch us up to where we uh, will slow down in just a few moments tonight. It is interesting to study the topic of angels because there's a lot said about angels. And the more you study the topic of angels from the scriptures, the more you realize that a lot that's said about angels today simply isn't taught in the scriptures. We don't read anywhere about a human being becoming an angel either before or after their life on this earth. And we don't ever read about an angel becoming a human being. And so I like the quote that we mentioned last week of Billy Graham when he talked about several things that are said about angels, but yet he said, I don't believe in angels because of those things. And finally, he says at the end of this quote, I believe in angels because the Bible says there are angels and I believe that the Bible is the true word of God. In Second Kings, the sixth chapter, we have Elisha praying that his servant's eyes would be open. And when those eyes were open, he saw chariots surrounding him where before he was afraid of the enemy and now he recognized that there are more on his side than the enemy has. And so the prayer was to open the eyes. And so I hope tonight that our eyes are open to what God is doing for us in the creation of angels. Angels are mentioned over 300 times in the Bible, more often in the New Testament than the Old Testament. And that's remarkable when you think the New Covenant is the covenant that we live under. And it's so much thinner than the Old Covenant, but yet they're still mentioned more times. We should not be like the Sadducees that could hold the scriptures in their hands and yet say, I don't believe in the resurrection or I don't believe in angels. We would have to be ignoring the very teachings of Jesus Christ if we were to say that there were not angels. When Jesus spoke about little children, he said that their angels would stand before the face of God. And then also when he talked about his second coming in Matthew, the 24th chapter, he said, no man's going to know that hour. And he goes on to say, not even the angels in heaven would know that. 
simply because they exist and they exist as a heavenly host, do not confuse them for being deity. They are not God. In other words, we know that they were created. They were created. We know that from Colossians, the first chapter in verse 16, where things on earth and things on heaven are created. But he makes it very clearly known to us in Psalms 148 and 2, where he talks about angels and then says they were created. It's also interesting to note that they were created before. And I should have went back and changed this from last week and failed to do so. I'd like to change the, the heading on this slide to say that they were created before the foundations of the earth. I don't know if they were created before time, but they were definitely created before the foundations of the earth because in Job the 38th chapter we know that when when God talked about making the earth he said that the angel shouted and so therefore we see a time of celebration as they look back at the great creation that God had made we also know that they're not deity and in that we assume that perhaps some assumption here All angels perhaps were created at one time. We don't ever read of any kind of death taking place among angels except for a spiritual death, a separation from God. And we also do not know of angels reproducing. And that would go back to Matthew, the 22nd chapter and 29, at least by application. Now that's not locked up firmly there, but it seems to definitely be the teaching. And I don't know of any scholar that would disagree with that. And so therefore it seems to be that once angels created, that is the angels that will be for all time. We also know that they're not omnipresent. When we look in Daniel, the ninth chapter, Gabriel could not just appear to Daniel. He had to travel to Daniel and he could travel very swiftly. Also, we see the fact that there is an exception of an angel being deity. It does appear in the Old Testament and that is the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is mentioned a few times in the Old Testament and it seems to literally appear to be the second member of the Godhead who later would come to this earth and take upon the form of flesh, incarnation, and we on earth would know his name as Jesus. And so before the new covenant time era or period, uh, the first century, it seems that Jesus manifested himself on this earth from time to time in the form of a messenger, which is what the word angel means. And then he would be called the angel of the Lord. Now we do know that angels, even though they don't reproduce and apparently they don't die, they can change their location. And we read in Revelation, the 12th chapter, and we took some time to develop this last week. But it seems that a portion of the angels fell along with Satan. And so Satan had his angels. And when we read in the 12th chapter in verse 7, we see that there was a war that broke out in heaven. And it was, it was the righteous angels against the wicked angels, if you will. And we see there that Michael and his angels fought against Satan and his angels. And you say, well, what's the purpose of that? It's to show that righteousness prevailed and that righteousness still is the uh, atmosphere, the environment of heaven. And so still always pure, always holy. It's still a wonderful place to be. And we see that evil was cast out. Now that's where we ended last week. And so now we ask another important question. Okay, we've spent some time saying that they're not deity. They're not human. So... And I know you don't believe this, but let me throw out, so are they objects? I mean, if they're, if they're not deity and they're not human, what are they? Are they like a beautiful sunset? We say, well, God made that. No, they definitely have life. And what's interesting is they have attributes of personality. 
And so for the next few minutes, I'd like for us to take some time to see what are the attributes of personality that we see among angels throughout the scriptures. Again, our emphasis in this whole study is not to try to figure out things that the Bible doesn't reveal, but simply learn what the Bible does reveal to us about angels. In Matthew, the 28th chapter, the women went to find Jesus upon the time that he would have been resurrected, but they did not know he had been resurrected. And so the angel tells them this in Matthew 28 and 5. The angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid for I, notice the word I there, an an individual, I know, now we have knowledge, this angel said, I know that you seek Jesus who has been crucified. Now, if you want to go back to Daniel, the, the ninth chapter With my bad eyes, I probably shouldn't have started this. I may have just missed it. Anyway, in in Daniel, in Daniel, the ninth chapter, notice, and, and it's not underlined there, but notice in verse 22, where he says to, uh, where the angel says to, to Daniel in 22, and he informed me and talked with me. Now, this is what the angel's doing. He informed with me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel. I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Now, don't take things for granted for just a moment. Pretend for just a moment you say, I don't know anything about angels except now I'm figuring out that they are alive. I'm figuring out that they refer to themselves as I. They are individuals. And now I'm figuring out they must be pretty intelligent individuals. Daniel was a very intelligent man. And the angel came to Daniel and said, I want to inform you something. I know some things you don't know. I want to inform you and I also want to tell you so that I can give you understanding. I have understanding. I want you to have understanding. And so it's interesting that it's that same kind of thing. And I know this may be something we normally take for granted, but it's just interesting to note the fact that when the angel spoke to the women, they said, I want you to know something. I know something you don't know right now. I know that the Lord is resurrected. I want you to know that. And so knowledge and individuality is one, are a couple of the things that we can see from this one passage. In Luke the 15th chapter and verse 10, this is probably one of the most, uh, this may be one of the passages, maybe a couple of the things that are the most warm things about what we'll study tonight. You know, we talked about warmth this morning, that, that idea of cherishing and to be able to know that, that we are loved. This is a very beautiful thing. And Luke, the 15th chapter and verse 10 says, likewise, remember, this is the great chapter. We'll have three stories about that which is lost is being found, the, the sheep, the coin and the son. And this is about the coin here. Notice, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, over one sinner who repents. They are emotional beings. And that tells me something else. They also have their eye on us. How can they know that one has repented unless they're watching to see whether or not one has repented? And so it's interesting to see that this individual that has knowledge has knowledge about us and and they're looking upon us. And when we respond, think about the individuals that came to the Lord this morning. Think about the joy that we experienced and think about literally. Now, keep in mind, they're not omnipresent. And so it may not have been the whole heavenly host, but there would have been angels. You can imagine that looked on and said, hey, look, look down on Mount Juliet right now. Isn't that awesome? Look what's happening there. What a wonderful Sunday morning it is. They have emotion. They also have adoration for God. When we read about the vision 
that was revealed to Isaiah in the sixth chapter. And he saw the seraphim, which were types of angels. And each one had six wings. Remember I mentioned to you last week, there's usually a debate. Do they have wings or not? Well, God says seraphims have wings. As a matter of fact, they have six of them. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, he flew. And remember I mentioned to you last week that people debate whether or not they can fly. Uh, The Bible makes it very clear that at least the seraphim is flying right here. And so in my mind, that removes doubt of whether or not angels can fly. And and one cried to another and he said, we just sang this, angels, one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So not only did no one have an understanding of us, but they know and have not only an understanding, but an adoration toward God. They worship the Lord that was sitting on the throne. We also see a beautiful point in in first peter the first chapter and in verse 12 you know how the plan of redeeming mankind was put in place before the foundation of the earth and what's interesting is that apparently according to this in first peter the first chapter the angels would know some of that but they would not know exactly what it looks like and so here Peter is writing to tell the blessing that we have whenever we have the word of God revealed to us through the apostles that we have been enlightened with the knowledge that God wanted us to have. And notice how this reads here in 1 Peter 1 and 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then we have a little dash there and he closes out to say how valuable it is that we have men that by inspiration, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a message has been given. And notice this line, things which angels desire to look into. Now, the the Greek there literally means when it says things that angels would desire to look into, it's literally the idea of like hanging over and looking down into something. Maybe you've been in a hotel where, where the, the middle of the hotel is open and there's rooms all around and you can go up 10 or 20 or 30 floors and you know how you get off the elevator and you can look down into The picture that Peter paints for us is that when Jesus Christ came to this earth to redeem mankind, there were things about that that the angels could not wait to see. They wanted to look down into it and see how it would work. Can you imagine maybe the talk where the angel says, Jesus is gone. He's gone. He's born as a baby. Oh, look, he's begun his public ministry. Look, did you hear God the Father speak? He just said at at Christ's baptism, he said, behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Can you imagine angels looking over into all this? Can you imagine angels watching Jesus die? Can you imagine angels looking over to see, is he going to be resurrected? How did that angel know to tell the women they were looking over into it? Friends, if the story of redeeming mankind keeps angels on the edge of heaven looking over, what should it do to us when we're the ones it's redeeming? We don't read of angels having an opportunity to be redeemed, although we do read of angels falling. Let that one sink into your mind how blessed we are as human beings. Maybe that's one reason why they are so intrigued with the idea of the opportunity of redemption. 
sometimes some of the things that we've heard so many times may be the very things that we ought to value so much that each time we ought to hear them and appreciate them as if we're hearing them for the first time. And so from angels, we see that they spoke of themselves as individuals. Remember Michael and, and Gabriel, they had individual names. There's no reason for us to not believe that other angels and all of them might perhaps have individual names. They had emotion, they had desire, they had knowledge, but they also, they also had adoration toward God. Now, in the little bit of time we have here, I'd like for us, and we're going to have to pick up the pace a little bit here because there's several things we want to talk about. Perhaps why did God create angels? What seems to be mentioned over and over in the scriptures is that they are used as ministers. And keep in mind the word minister means servant. They are used as servants of God. God would use them in his work. In Hebrews, the first chapter in verse 6, he says about Jesus Christ, let all of the angels of God worship him. But notice verse 7. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits? See, they're not human. They're spirits. And his ministers a flame of fire. They are ministers. They are servants. A flame of fire. That refers to the intensity, to the fervency in which they serve. They are servants that are on fire to serve God. We also see in Psalm 103 what is a beautiful description of angels. In verse 20, 103 and 20, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength. How strong are you? How strong are 10 of you? How strong is an angel? We know that in 2 Kings, the 19th chapter in verse 35, that there was one angel that went among the Syrians one night. And when others awoke to see what that angel had done, they found 185,000 soldiers' corpse lying on the ground. One angel conquered 185,000 in one night. God, through the psalmist, says, they excel in strength. Listen, angels are not some kind of little weakling, even though they're not deity. They're not some kind of weakling that you just wonder, are they strong enough to really accomplish much? And then notice the redundancy. They use their strength, submitting their life in service to God. Notice this redundancy who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you host, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. So four different ways the submissiveness of the angels to God is spoken about. So what did they do? If they minister to God, what do they do? What if I told you that it was an angel of the Lord that brought the law to Moses? I wonder if there'd be anyone that say, now, wait a minute. I don't, I don't know. I've never heard that before. An angel brought the law to Moses. Well, it's in there several times. Galatians, the third chapter in verse 19, at the end of this, It says, and it was anointed through angels by the hand of a mediator, talking about giving the old law. It came through the hands of of angels to the mediator. Stephen would say in Acts the seventh chapter and 38 about this very same topic. This is he who was in the congregation of the wilderness, talking about Moses being in the congregation of the wilderness, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. Now, in Hebrews, the second chapter and verse two, this is where he's showing that Christ and his covenant is far better than the old covenant. And so what he's going to do here to show the comparison is he's going to say, if the messengers that brought the old covenant was uh, if they were angels and the messenger that brought the new covenant was Jesus, 
Think how more important the new covenant would be than the old covenant. And so this is how it said. For if the word spoken through angels, that's talking about the old covenant, the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. See what he's saying? Sure, that message was given through angels, but still if somebody disobeyed it, they had to pay the price for disobeying it. Now he's saying this. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? So if... If you couldn't ignore, uh, if you ignored the old covenant and you had to pay a price for it, think how much more serious it's going to be to ignore the new covenant. The old covenant was just passed through a messenger of angels. The new covenant is passed through the messenger of Jesus Christ. But that gives us an idea when we say they are ministers of God. Well, what did they do? One thing they did was they brought the old law. Also, when we look at, when we look at this list here, we have a list of several things that are just scripture references. In Genesis, the 19th chapter, we're just thinking about them being ministers. How was it that Sodom, his wife, and his children left, uh, I'm sorry, Lot left Sodom? How is it that they left? Remember, it was angels that took them by the hand and led them out. In Revelation, the 7th chapter and the 8th chapter, we see that when God brings some catastrophes on the earth, he's going to let angels bring each one. He mentions in the 8th chapter several. The first angel was going to bring hail and fire and etc. When he wanted to announce the coming of Jesus Christ to this earth, in Luke, the first chapter and the second chapter, whether it was being announced... Uh, to Mary or to Joseph or to the shepherds, it was announced by angels. When we see in Matthew, the second chapter, that Joseph was to be warned to not keep Jesus in that area that Herod was trying to kill him, to go down to Egypt, it was an angel that gave that warning. And in Matthew, the fourth chapter, when Jesus began his public ministry and he went out for 40 days in the wilderness and he was tempted and he was fasting. And, and after all of that ordeal, he was so drained that angels came to minister to him. Also, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember when he was desperately wanting to do the will of the Father, but yet it was a heavy burden to bear. After he goes through that praying three times, an angel of the Lord comes and ministers to him. And it's from then he's able to get up and go face the one that would betray him. And also in Matthew, the 28th chapter, what we read a while ago, the announcement of the resurrection. It was an angel that announced to the women the resurrection. And then in Acts, the first chapter, when Jesus ascended up into the cloud, remember there was two angels there to welcome him. And they looked down and asked them, in, what are you gazing at? And he says, he's going to return to the clouds just as he came up to the clouds with his holy angels with him. So now we even have prophecy of his second coming. And that prophecy was given by who? Messengers, angels of the Lord prophesied the second coming of Jesus in that particular text. Now, just for interest's sake, important point. Do you notice what's missing in that list? Now, I know there's a lot of other things the scripture says angels did, but did you notice there's something missing there. We don't read about angels helping Jesus during the crucifixion. But you remember, we sing about it and the Bible talks about it. He could have called angels. But you see, that was the time where he needed to do what he needed to do. He came to this earth to die for us instead of asking angels to deliver him from that. He died for us instead. In 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, Paul urges Timothy to realize that he lives his life as a witness before God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect of angels. 
Now, someone says, David, what does all that mean? I don't know exactly what it means, but I assume you and I live our life also before God, the Father, Jesus Christ, and elect of angels. We see in Matthew, the 16th chapter, in verse 27, when the Lord comes again in all of his glory with his angels, with him, that we'll receive the rewards according to our works. So they're going to be a part of the second coming of Jesus. It's mentioned over and over that angels will be a part of that second coming. We'll read about that in just a few moments as we close this lesson. Also, as we close the Bible, we go to the last book in Revelation. How did the book of Revelation come about? Well, we know it was written by inspiration, inspired of the Holy Spirit. But remember, he is writing about a vision. Where did that vision come from? Have you ever noticed in the first verse of Revelation where that vision came from? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave in him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angels to his servant, John. And so again, we see angels being messengers there. But now note this, as many messages as they brought for apostles and other prophets to bring a message... What they do not do to us today, and this is probably one of of the most important points that we will make by application for us tonight. They do not bring us messages of truth today. I know that that has become a hot topic, it seems like, in the last 10 or 15 years. A lot of television shows, a lot of movies, a lot of people like to make a big to-do about what an angel of the Lord has told them. Well, listen to what God's Word inspired from the Holy Spirit of God says in Galatians, the first chapter and verse eight, but even if we are an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So even if an angel of heaven did come to you and tell you something that's not in the word of God, you need to say, get away from me. I have the truth given to me, and I do not need an angel to deliver truth to me. God has already given that. So what do we see angels doing more often throughout the New Testament? Rather than revealing truth, usually what we see angels doing is guiding individuals so that they can find each other. For example, how in Acts the 8th chapter did Philip know that the eunuch was there and was in search of the gospel? An angel told him to go and meet him. And in Acts the 10th chapter, how did Cornelius and Peter get together? The angel sent word to Cornelius to send word to Peter to come to him. Notice the angels did not come down and say, let me give you a message from God. Let me teach you about Jesus. But the angels worked to get individuals together that could teach that message. In Acts the fifth chapter, we also see a deliverance there where the apostles were in prison and it was the angel of the Lord that opened the doors. But then it was the angel of the Lord that said, go out in the temple and continue preaching. Why didn't the angel of the Lord just go out into the temple and and preach? The angels didn't do that. The angels ministered to Christians so that they could minister to others. Now, as we think about bringing this kind of wrapping a lot of loose ends up here, and we think about how does this translate over into our lives today? Uh, We're probably not going to have an angel to miraculously open Uh, prison doors for us today. So does that mean that there's no interaction with us at all with angels? I don't know how to tell you how angels would act directly or indirectly with us today. But I know what Hebrews, the 13th chapter tells us of one way. And he says here, 
let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. I heard a young preacher one time preach on this topic, or on this passage. And he was wanting to use something out of either the first or the third verse. And he read this passage and he started working through it. And he expounded in verse 1 that we need to let brotherly love continue. And then in verse 3, he talked about the fact that we need to visit those who are in jail. And then he said, but now verse 2 doesn't apply to us today. That's real convenient, isn't it? When you don't know exactly how to explain something, just say it doesn't apply to us. Brother, we can't treat the Word of God that way. Sure, there are a lot of things that, that we can gather up more questions than we can answers about verse 2, but we cannot just dispose of it because we don't know exactly how to explain it. Someone says, well, why would God send a stranger to us who is actually an angel that we didn't know it was an angel? We would only think that it was a stranger. We would help them thinking it was a stranger. They would go on their way and we would never know it was an angel. Why would God do that? To me, one of the easiest solutions to find that is Jesus' words that are quoted in Acts. And we have to decide if we believe it or not. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Maybe that is one of the ways that God gives us a blessing. He puts someone in our life that we can help. And perhaps, perhaps most of the time it's a real live human being. And maybe sometimes... It's an angel. But either way, when we help, we are the one who receives the greater blessing. But also, as we think about the second coming of the Lord, we've already mentioned several times that our angels are involved in that. Maybe you wonder, well, what's their involvement? There's one passage in Matthew 24 that tells us clearly how they're involved. In 30, the Lord's going to come back in the clouds. Remember, that's what the angel said before his ascension, or as he ascended, that he's going to come back in the clouds. No, he never says that the Lord's going to come back to the earth. That's premillennialism. That's not taught in the scriptures. And notice verse 31. He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Can you picture that? Can you picture how wonderful, how beautiful, how powerful that's going to be? How loud is a trumpet when one trumpet can be heard around the universe? How glorious is a sight when everybody alive on this earth sees the same sight? And then people scattered all around the world. And you say, well, there's only one Jesus and, and he's coming in one direction. How's everybody around the world going to be collected? Can you imagine if Jesus came right now, there would be angels swirling around us saying, let me deliver you to the Lord. What a wonderful and beautiful sight that is going to be where literally angels will escort us in the presence of the Lord if we live or are alive at His second coming. Maybe even if we're not alive, when He says that the dead will rise first in the Lord, maybe it's even angels escorting those individuals also. I love in Luke the 16th chapter, and we'll close with this. In Luke the 16th chapter, remember we have the rich man who passed away, and we have the beggar who's named Lazarus that passed away. And notice how the two deaths 
And what happens afterward is described very, very differently. Now, if we read on beyond this, it would continue to be very different, a place of comfort and a place of torment. But notice this, right now all we're doing is looking at the immediate moment Right after death. What's going to happen right after death? Luke 16 and 22. So it was when the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Quite a difference, isn't it? Someone dies without the Lord and it just says they were buried. And someone dies in the Lord, and it says, angels were there. Can you imagine the moment we step over? Angels that, from what we've studied, I assume that they're going to know our name, who we are, how we've lived. They've been looking over can you imagine, like when you get on a cruise and, and the servants introduce themselves and they tell you, I'm going to be looking after you? Can you imagine an angelic host welcome you? Remember emotion? They're happy, they're excited, and they're welcoming you. They know heaven. They know our Father. They know our brother Christ. They know us. And they welcome us. And they take us to that place of comfort. If you've been with me on any mission trips, you know the late night singing. My favorite song by far is Angel Band. It's because of this verse that angel band can be written and we can believe that it's true. Oh, come, angel band. There's one verse that in it, it talks about the very moment of our death. And it says, And I hear the noise of wings. When I breathe my last breath, I want to hear the noise of wings. I want to know that I am in good company. That I have an angelic host that knows me and they have known me. And they love me. And they're there as God's ministers to take care of me, to deliver me home. You see, there are a lot of things about the other side that you and I don't know. And it would be scary to think we're going to step over the other side if there were not such wonderful ministers waiting for us. There are a lot of things about angels. A lot of questions I could never answer. But I know They're God's ministers. And I know that one day, I want to live among them. And tonight, we can be ministers of God. We can serve each other. And we can help each other. 
And so we're about to sing a song of encouragement. And our goal in this song, as we sing together at this time, is to sing with encouragement. We truly do want to help you if you need help. We want to know that we are available for each other. We want to know that we love each other. We want to know that we have the same goal. If the Lord came right now, would your thought be, oh no, or would you get so excited looking for that heavenly host that's going to take you up to our Savior? Listen, there's just no good reason for not all of us to leave here tonight saying we're looking forward to the Lord's second coming. If we can't say that, we're not ready to live or die. Let's leave here right with our God. And let's bask in the wonderful creation that He's placed around us, even the heavenly host. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.